Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This Your Torah episode is dedicated by Elise Borgi to her grandmother, Leah Borgi, who is a humble tzedeket, committed to living out the Torah's teachings of kindness to others. May she live to 120 years. Rabbi Arya Kaplan relays a story of a young Jewish man called Yaakov and his family who had been living in Soviet Russia. During a secret meeting, Yaakov said that he had something to show his visitor. He took him to a clothing closet. Yaakov opened the closet, moved aside a number of boxes and carefully lifted up a false floor. Under the floorboards, there was a staircase leading to a small pool. This is the city's mikvah, he proudly announced. Over 40 families make use of it. Yaakov then told of the dangers involved in building the mikvah. No religious facilities could be built without the express permission of the government. If discovered, Yaakov would be subject to the direst penalties. Gradually, almost cautiously, Yaakov told how the mikvah was built. All work had to be done in the utmost secrecy. No one, not even his closest friends and family, could know what he was doing. Only a small amount of digging could be done under the house each day so the dirt could be disposed of without arousing suspicion. Small quantities of cement for making minor repairs were purchased until there was enough to line the mikvah. A similar subterfuge had to be used to obtain pipes for the plumbing. In addition, the rigorous requirements of Jewish law had to be satisfied. This is difficult enough under any circumstances, even if secrecy is not a paramount consideration. Not until the mikveh was completed did Yaakov dare tell anyone about it. At first, his closest friends shared the secret. Gradually, one by one, other families were invited to make use of the hidden mikveh. Most of them did not believe it possible, but they came anyway. Before long, Yaakov's top-secret project had become the community mikvah. A year after this meeting, Yaakov and his family were finally able to emigrate to Israel. When asked why he had undertaken all the expense and danger to build a mikvah, Yaakov answered, Without it, I could not live as a Jew. I am Elise Borgi, a second-year rabbinical student by correspondence at Yeshivat Harel in Jerusalem. I live in Melbourne, Australia. I spend my days as a legal aid lawyer for children, and I spend my nights learning and teaching Torah. I first started learning Mishnah when I was in the fifth grade at my Jewish day school. The rabbi teaching us had a great system. If you memorized a Mishnah, you would receive a small square of Cadbury's chocolate. It was incentive enough for greedy little nine-year-old me to learn almost all of Masechet Shabbat off by heart. Tractate, or Masechet Mikvot, is the sixth Masechet in the collection, or Seder, of Tarot, Purities. The Seder that deals with all matters relating to Tumah and Tahara, 
ritual purity and impurity. The other tractates in this Seder deal with phenomena that render a person ritually impure and the process for purification. This tractate sets out the criteria for a kosher mikvah, the ritual pool needed for immersion in order to render a person ritually pure again. Today, mikvahot are used by observant Jews for the immersion of kitchen utensils, by Jewish women following menstruation or birth, and by Jewish men. Some immerse every morning, others only before significant events such as weddings or before holy days. Immersion in a mikvah is also the final step in a Jewish conversion. Mikvah immersion is also experiencing a revival across the Jewish community as a ritual to mark change or significant life events. Masechet Mikvot is made up of 10 chapters. Chapter 1 sets out that there are six types of mikvot and that these six types are ranked in their ability to purify. The more pure the mikvah is, the more effective it is for purification. For example, a shallow pool of rainwater during the rainy season is able to purify utensils but could not purify a person. We need maim chaim, living waters of pure potable spring water to purify a person. Chapter 2 sets out how we deal with the issue of a safek, an uncertainty or doubt about the status of the mikvah. The general rule is, if we are unsure if the mikvah or the immersion were correct, then we err on the side of impurity, which means, when in doubt, we conclude that the immersion was not effective in purifying. Chapter 3 discusses ways in which water that is suitable for a mikvah and water that is unsuitable for a mikvah might join, and in which circumstances this would render the mikvah impure and where it might still be kosher. This chapter is particularly important for modern-day mikvahot, which are usually designed to have a pure mikvah of rainwater connected with a pool of heated water for immersion. These mishnayot set the background for our modern mikvah practices. Chapter 4. A mikvah cannot be filled with drawn water, which means you cannot collect rainwater in buckets and then pour them into a pool. Rather, the mikvah must be a natural collection of rainwater into the ground. This chapter sets out the parameters for the collection of water in acceptable and unacceptable methods. Chapter 5 discusses different types of naturally occurring waters and whether they are suitable for a mikvah. For example, a tributary of a river or the ocean. Chapter 6 sets out the joining of mikvot as mentioned in Chapter 3. It elaborates on this issue. It relays a funny situation where there are three mikvot, two are kosher and one is not. What happens if the waters overflow and mix? The rabbis answer that in that case, even the non-kosher mikvah would be effective for purification. Chapter 7 discusses different types of waters that can be used to fill a mikvah. For example, you can partially fill a mikvah with fallen snow, hail or frost. Chapter 8 sets out a presumption, all the mikvot in Israel are presumed to be kosher. This chapter goes on to explain different types of people with bodily excretions or skin ailments who require immersion in a mikvah for purification. Chapter 9 explains how to prepare yourself for an effective immersion. There must be nothing between yourself and the water, 
which means you cannot have any dirt or clothing on your body when you immerse in the mikvah. Things that might interrupt the contact between the water and your body are called a chatzitza. Chapter 10 sets out the method for how to immerse objects in a mikvah so that you don't lose the object, but also so that the water can properly wash over them. I've chosen Mishnah 4 of Chapter 5 to teach on this podcast. The Mishnah reads like this. All the seas are like a mikvah. As it is said in Genesis 1, and the gatherings, which literally is written mikvahs of water, he called seas. God called them seas. Divrei Rebbe Meir. This is according to Rebbe Meir. Rebbe Huda Omer, Hayam HaGadol Kemikveh. Rebbe Huda says, only the great sea, i.e. the ocean, is a mikveh. Lo ne'emar yamim, ele sheyesh bo minei yamim ha'obeh. It only says seas in the plural regarding something that contains many types of seas. For example, the ocean into which flow many bodies of water. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Kol yamim metarim bezochlin, upsulin lezavin ulemetsarim velekadesh mehem mechatat. Rabbi Yossi says, All the seas purify, even when they are flowing, yet they are invalid for the use for a zav, an individual who is ritually impure due to having a type of omission and who must immerse in naturally flowing waters as part of the purification process, a mitzora, a person who is impure due to having a type of skin disease and who must have a bird sacrificed above flowing waters as part of his purification, and to sanctify the waters of a chatat, that is, the red heifer ritual, which must also come from flowing waters. Rabiossi says that the seas are not a valid source for these three rituals, which require the use of naturally flowing living waters. A similar version of this mikvah can be found in Mishnah 8, chapter 8 of Masechet Parah. There is no accompanying Talmud or Gemara to go with this Masechet of Mishnayot. However, this particular Mishnah is discussed in the Talmud in Masechet Shabbat on page 109. The Gemara explains Rabiossi's opinion. Rabiossi says all seas purify like a ritual bath. They actually purify even more than a ritual bath, as they purify even when they are flowing. The immersion in a sea is purifying not only when its waters are still, but even when they are flowing. That is not the case with a ritual bath, whose waters only purify when still. I want to talk about what values and insights underpin Rabiossi's opinion. The mikvah ritual is symbolic of human humility, an acknowledgement of God as the source of everything, and a return to God and to Torah. My teacher, Rabbi Herzl Hefter, recently highlighted in class the principle that purity and impurity in Jewish law only relates to the world of the human. These concepts do not apply to the natural world. For example, only utensils that have been created by people are capable of contracting ritual impurity and would then need to be immersed into a mikvah. A fallen branch from a tree is pure and cannot become impure. But if a person were to take that branch and whittle it into a spoon, then that branch has now entered the world of the human. 
and it is now subject to the laws of Tuma and Tahara. This tension between the world of the human and the world of God and nature can be seen in the laws governing the creation of a mikvah too. A mikvah must be made out of pure water with minimal human intervention. Indeed, the best types of mikvah are the ones that are naturally occurring, such as a natural spring or the ocean. Similarly, the process of immersion is a humbling return to nature. You must immerse without any of your adornments or possessions. You must enter the mikvah completely naked, without anything to hide behind, or anything that might interrupt your reconnection with the mikvah waters. This symbolism of the mikvah as a return to God and to nature is what I think underpins Rebiasi's opinion. He highlights in the Mishnah that the ocean has even greater capacity to purify than a man-made mikvah because it is able to purify even when flowing, whereas a human-made mikvah must be still. He's echoing the recognition that although human beings are created in the image of God and have the ability and indeed the obligation to use our skills to create in partnership with God, we are in fact only human. This ritual of the mikvah is a humbling reminder of our role within the world as creators who are seeking to emulate the divine in kindness and in compassion, but who are vulnerable to hubris and who need to ensure that we reconnect to our task of serving God through the performance of mitzvot. Rabbi Shimshon Rafael Hirsch writes in his commentary on Parashat Shmini that when a person immerses his entire body in such water and sinks completely into this element, all connections between this person and the realm of impurity are severed. This person leaves the ground of human beings and returns for a moment to the world of elements in order to begin a new life of purity. Symbolically, this person is reborn. Similarly, the Sefer Achinuch writes, The reason that water purifies everything impure, I would think on the side of the simple understanding that it is in order that a man see himself with the immersion as if he is created at that time, just like the whole world was created before man was upon it. As it is written in Genesis 1, And the Spirit of God floated upon the face of the waters. And through this comparison, he placed upon his heart that just like he is renewed in his body, he also renew his actions for the good, fix his actions, and be exacting in the way of God. And therefore the sages said that the purification is not fit with water that is in a vessel, but rather only living waters, in order to place in his heart the thought that as if the world were entirely water, and he is renewed with his emerging from them. But if the water is in a vessel, this matter that we said would not be set in the thought of the one immersing, as there is a limit to all that is in a vessel. It is the creation of the hands of man. And therefore, if you were to immerse in a vessel, you would not think that the whole world is water like at the beginning of creation, and you would not experience a renewal at that time. Indeed, this symbolism is extended with the motif throughout texts of water as Torah. There is a beautiful midrash in Shira Shirim Rabbah, which can also be found in Masechet Eruvin, that expounds on the similarities between water and Torah. Words of Torah are compared to water. As it says in Isaiah, everyone that thirsts come to the water. 
As water reaches from one end of the world to the other, so Torah reaches from one end of the world to the other. As water gives life to the world, so Torah gives life to the world. As water is given without cost to the world, so is Torah given without cost to the world. As water is given from heaven, so Torah is given from heaven. As water is given with thunder, so too Torah was given with thunder. As water restores a person's spirit, so Torah restores a person's spirit. As water cleanses a person from uncleanness, so Torah cleanses a person from his uncleanness. As water comes down in many drops and becomes a mighty river, so Torah, today a person learns two halachot, tomorrow two more, and so on until he becomes like a bubbling brook. As water leaves a high place and flows to a low place, so Torah leaves him whose opinion of himself is high and cleaves to those whose spirit is lowly. As water is not kept in vessels of silver or gold, but only in the standing of Torah, a grown man who is unlearned should not be ashamed to say to a child, teach me a chapter or a verse or a word, or even teach me a single letter. As with water, if one does not know how to swim in it, he will end by drowning. So with the words of Torah, if one does not know how to swim in them and teach them, he will drown in the end. It is my hope that we are able to enter into the human adventure of creation with enthusiasm and rigour, but that we also check ourselves and maintain our humility by recognising that it is indeed God and Torah that sustains us and to whom we ought to return. Thank you. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.